You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 103, Fantastic Mr. Fox. You cussing at me? Hello, guys, and welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast. We are your animation station for all things uh, 2D animation, CG animation, and of course, one of our favorites, stop motion animation. Today, we are doing a fantastic movie on a very fantastic director, also known as Fantastic Mr. Fox. Are so, you cussing me? I am you cussing, cussing you. <laughs> so, welcome for those of you who are new to our show. Our show focuses on the world of animation, past, present, and hey, in the sometime. We will do future. Uh, and Beyond. We get together every two weeks and we talk about one of those films. And today it was uh, thanks to the patrons. We have um, certain patrons get to select a movie of their choice. And AJ selected this movie. And this is actually very highly requested. People have asked us to do it for a really long time. And through the support of the patrons and just Patreon in general, it's 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 been awesome, and so we were able to do this movie this time. I am Morgan Stradling, and I am here with my lovely co-hosts, Chelsea Robson and Mason Smith. Hello. Wait, let's see if I can get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> this is the movie that MTV said is proof that Pixar does not have a monopoly on heartfelt and funny animation. However, we shall have the final say. Mwahaha. Ooh. And so it begins. Welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Woo! Should we dance? His life is fantastic. <laughs> Pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. His neighbors... Not so fantastic. This is Boggus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in his valley. What was that? They're digging us out. But they're about to discover... Oh, Foxy. Is help on the way? He's one fox. I've got an idea. You can't outfox. Mole, what do you got? I can see in the dark. We can use that. Rabbit, I'm fast. Badger, demolitions expert. What? Since when? Here, put these bandit hats on. I don't have a bandit hat, but I modified this tube sock. We look good. Yeah, we do. The only security is if old hunting beagles <laughs> laced some blueberries with sleeping powder. Beagles love blueberries. A titanium card. What's this thing you do, the whistle with the clicking sound? That's my trademark. We're different. We all are. Him especially. But there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? I can fight my own fight. No, you can't. I guess we should start doing something, right? Let's see some hustle. Yeah! This fall, forget super. That was close, Rat. Be careful. Oh, I'm careful as a... Ignore Incredible. I can fit through there. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm little. It's all about Fantastic. You really are fantastic. I try. Fantastic Mr. Fox. What's this lightning bolt? This fence might be electric. 
Well, well, I just hope it doesn't mean thunder, because I have a phobia of that. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. This came out in 2009. It's directed by the legendary, or the fantastic, how many times can we say fantastic in an episode, Wes Anderson. It's based on a novel by Ronald Dahl. And, or a Rolled Doll, story. don't worry. Oh, Rolled Doll, yes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Already messing things up. Yeah, we don't get uh, a demo reel anymore, Morgan, <laughs> or a, a blooper reel anymore. Rolled Doll. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it came out in 1970 um, and is one of the, his, his top-selling books, and it's beloved by many children and adults. It's... Uh, you know, I grew up reading his books, and mm-hmm. um, so did Wes Anderson. I was reading a lot of his interviews, and he said that this was one of his favorite books that he had read when he was a child and always wanted to make it into a film. So we will talk more about that. Some basics from Wikipedia, of course, our number one source for all the basics. Uh, budget for this film was $40 million, which is actually pretty impressive. Stop motion films do have lower budgets as we've gone and, and reviewed other films, but they do have lower budgets, but still 40 million is much lower than you would expect for an animated film about five years ago. Um, it, however, it only did around $46.4 million, and uh, despite being critically acclaimed. So I think we'll talk a little bit more about why it didn't necessarily do amazingly well in the theaters versus why this has such a cult following. People love this film. They obsess about this film and Wes Anderson. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. So what are your guys' thoughts? Okay. So this was the, this was the second time that I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox. The first time was like last year, sometime during the summer, I watched it on my own and it was even better the second time. Walking out of the, of my first viewing, I was like, that is literally a Wes Anderson film, but animated. Like (laughs) what a unique vision to bring to the medium of animation. So um, I guess we're starting this out really positive for me because I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I don't know. I just came out of this screening just really appreciating the production design for one, but also just like really paying attention to all the funny and, and quirky characters in this film. It, it's even better the second time for me. Yeah, I had never seen this movie. And I watched it about two weeks ago and... First, I was like, I really liked it, and it was something that I was like, yeah, this is great. And then I rewatched it again uh, today, and at first I was like, I don't know exactly what the replay value on this one is, but now that I've replayed it, I can realize, yes, it has great replay value. And it's one that I just, I mean, it was good. Yeah, so um, first thing that stood out to me upon watching this film was just the, first off, we have to talk that it is stop motion. Stop motion films, uh, compared to CGI, especially the legacy of 2D, are kind of few and far between. So we don't review them too often just because we like to space them out and whatnot. Um, When you see it, you just realize how vintage and retro it is. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a few articles, and he talked about how he loved the Harryhausen animated uh, King Kong um, and just loved that stop-motion King Kong. And he also loved the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials that he grew up watching and and thought that there was such a a unique charm about the way that they were uh, animated because they were very primitive. And 
he wanted when he was doing this film to kind of create that feeling. You've seen how much stop motion had grown, but he made a conscious and clear choice to use a very more primitive and, and vintage style of animation, of, of stop motion, and I thought it paid off so well. Um, one thing he said he wanted to do is he always wanted to animate or use stop motion characters with fur. And you see that because when there's just the still shots of you know an animal or Mr. Fox, you see the fur kind of moving around from frame to frame and that's really what gives this quirky charm about those old animated films is that because of the fur and some of these elements they just you can't control everything mm -hmm. um, and I, I loved that about this film that's like the first thing that stood out is how you know you would look at the animation and think okay that sucks that's old right <laughs> maybe people would think that but it, I did not think that at all and it just shows as long as you have a great story and you know compelling characters you can you could make it out of, you know, tin foil and sticks, and it'd look great, right? Yeah. Yeah. This I, I would call this ironic stop motion because at some parts it's brilliant, like facial animation for a lot of the characters, like um, the three farmers, Buggins, Boggs, and Beans. I forget. Bogus, uh, Bugs, and Beans. That's right. They sing the whole song about them. <laughs> like the last 15 minutes is nothing but a song about them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they have a brilliant facial animation, but then you get into these, you know, wide shots where they're breaking into the farms and, like, dancing around, and it's just a loop of really rudimentary, like, dancing animations. And it's it's interesting how Wes Anderson, like, pulls off this, like, ironic quality in some parts. Then he, like, purposefully, you know, like Morgan said, smudges the, the fur and gives it that... Um, that real, um, you know, Wallace and Gromit vibe when they're, when the first Wallace and Gromit, when they go to the moon and it's made of cheese, like you can definitely see the auteur's hand. And um, so he, I guess it was kind of ironically placed in the film in this case. And I think it works really well. It may not have worked for another director, but for Wes Anderson, it worked really well. I think he does this, it's, everything is executed expertly. Mm -hmm. I think the because he's able to, He's such a master at storytelling, and then all the animators that worked on it, they are t true masters of their craft. And then they were able to peel back and, and use this more primitive form of animation. They're able to do that that more much more masterfully, and it just it, it looks old, but amazing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I felt there were a lot of shots in this film that were very lateral where, you know, the characters were standing side by side, and, you know, the camera was kind of just straight and... Uh, we didn't really get a lot of depth shots and, and whatnot. It was just almost like a side-scroll video game at times. You know, you, you see when they're oh, yeah. digging down, you know, they would dig directly down and then orthogonally and then up. And you, there wasn't a lot of, you like, panning camera angles and things like that. And I think that just goes to the very clear vision that he had for this. Mm -hmm. I, there were some parts where it was like, it would swoop a little bit, though, which was I thought was really cool. Like, they had these, like, where it would swoop in and, like, go straight up to, like, the the extreme close-ups. Um, I really liked the fact that it was... I mean, yeah, we're looking at different stories, like, say, Coraline or um, Corpse Bride. Looking at Corpse Bride, like, there, everything is so silky smooth. Like, it's just mm -hmm. perfectly moved. And this one, it, it was, like you were saying, a little bit more of the... Um, not rudim, rudim, it's not even rudimentary. I mean, it's fantastic, that, fantastically done, but it's just just not as as gliding as um, some of the other ones are. Well, Morgan talked about the um, the cinematography. That's really like a like a Wes Anderson like trademark. The straight on 
shot and the production design, well, in order to really understand like the cinematography of Fantastic Mr. Fox, you really have to study Wes Anderson in general. Like if you've ever watched um, Darjeeling Unlimited, Royal Tannenbaums, Grand Budapest, like he's the king of the symmetrical, balanced, composed shot. Like he can contain an entire story in just a straight-on shot, which I, I don't know how he does it, but for any other director, it would look mundane and boring, but he brings that style into Fantastic Mr. Fox, and in some parts, it is really quirky to watch, like, um, the digging part, like Morgan said, and then that first scene uh, sequence where him and uh, Mrs. Fox are uh, busting into the farm. Like, you can see everything like a side-scrolling video game. Uh-huh. And and then in almost every shot, it's always this this straight on center shot, um, and I think I think it's just brilliant how he contains like so much life into these scenes. And then I really like what he does. There's that one part where they're running through the cornfield, and you see the camera, you know, stationary, and then the cornfield's just zooming behind you. Or when him and Kylie are are going uh, running up to the fence, and they're gonna jump over it. You know, it, it's interesting how he almost never breaks from that shot. Or if he, or if it's not a center shot, it's always composed with balance. Like there'll be a large element here, and then perfectly spaced away will be a smaller element, like um, like Ash standing next to the coach, you know, mm-hmm. or a foreground. Uh, even in the foreground, kind of, um, there'll be Mr. Fox and people back, and he's facing the camera, talking, and the depth of field switches between the two. Um, like that's really stuff that Wes Anderson's known for, and I was just super surprised in a pleasant way how he tra- how he interpreted the medium of animation and brought in his own style to it. The fact that he really wanted to go very authentic with this—I mean, I was looking at some of the diff- different production notes. Um, one is the fact that he chose to go for even the recording of the voices. He wanted to not add a lot of the like canned. Um, voice echoes and things like that. And so what he did is he went outside and in re- rather in, than recording in the studio, they went outside and they were in the forest. They went right. into an attic. They went into a stable. Uh, they went underground for some of these. Like just It was just very raw, everything that they did. And it was very spontaneous, everything. They're like, okay, we're going to do this, but it's going to sound like this, so it's gotta, we got to go there. And yeah. he also said with the production designs, he's like, I want to use real trees with real sand, but just everything is miniature. So mm-hmm. he was just very, uh, every, every little detail was, was very spontaneous, but not spontaneous. It was very much calculated, which I really appreciated. Yeah, the way that I prepared for this film or, or watching this film and, and preparing for the podcast, I watched a lot of his interviews and read a lot of interviews. And I'll include links to all those different interviews in the show notes. But one of them, he said, before they got together, they got the cast together and they lived on a farm in Connecticut. And they basically acted out the movie as if it were a play or just a giant long rehearsal. So if a scene took place under a tree, then the cast and crew would go under a tree and do that scene. Um, and they, if they were digging in a scene, then they would all start digging and do their lines. And <laughs> I just thought that was an uh, interesting backstory about how he prepared for this um, and, you know, going back to the animation, you know, he many times, like, I, I think he said for the majority of this shooting, he wasn't actually there on set, um, which is actually the kind of the nice thing about animation, I guess, and, you know, stop motion is that he would 
there were 30 units going and shooting different scenes at different times. So maybe there'd be 12 Mr. Foxes and, you know, eight Ashes all on different sets shooting different scenes. And he would sit at a computer all day long and just watch the cameras and the scenes. And he would watch them shot by shot and he would give feedback and whatnot. And, you know, with stop motion, you literally only do a few seconds in a day. Um, but you can see how they're able to, you know, finish it somewhat quickly because they're able to do multiple shots and multiple scenes at once. And, you know, co you know, collective that, you know, compresses your timeline a little bit. Um, but yeah, he would just sit there and he, he would participate and he would give feedback on the shots. And um, there were tons of animators and then they had different cinematographers, a few cinematographers who were also on set. But he, for the most part, um, I don't, not quite sure the exact reason, but wasn't able to actually be there. Um, and I just thought that was very cool. Like with a, a normal and a normal film, like most likely the director would have to be on set and you would start at 6 a.m. and you would end at 10 p.m. Um, he'd have to be there all day. But with animation and, and specifically the way that he did this, I mean, he didn't have to be actually physically there. The work was being done and he could still direct mm -hmm. from afar, which was so cool to me. I love you. I don't think I'd heard that. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it happened. I know that John Lasseter, when he lives quite far from Pixar Studios, like an hour plus away, and so he has a chauffeur that drives him from his house to Pixar. And what he does is he has an iPad, and he'll go, he'll review shots and give feedback and and write on the shots, release um, during his car ride. Which is I just love that the world we live in with the technology enables you know enables all of this improvement and just oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it sounded like oh, reading his reading the interview excerpts that you included. Like it sounded like he would be like in a remote, you know, looking at it remotely, and um, the dailies would come in, and it'd be like a few more frames added to one <laughs> scene, and he would be like, okay, so what do we? What's new? You know, and he would watch a sequence and look at the new frames and stuff that had been added in the new footage. And so, if you if you think of stop motion as just like very slowly and meticulously rendering out frame by frame a scene and um, you know you can there's all sorts of software that'll com compile like image sequences and so he probably did something like that like a constantly updating reel of live action footage of uh, stop motion footage so it's kind of interesting and, and, and definitely with technology we can do stuff like this what did y'all think about the production design as in the set design the environments I loved it. The first, the very, one of the very first things I noticed with the animation was the color palette, how it was very orangey and yellow, and it, it really was an absence of greens and blues. Um, and to me, that just stood out as very unique and something different. It almost had this sunset-esque palette to me mm -hmm. um, and from the very beginning. And that really does hold for the most part. Uh, they do go into the, like the cellar and you know the sewer, and it, it shifts it shifts slightly because they're not outside, but um, I, I love that because I don't think I'd really seen, you know, that and then going with like the design of the set and the characters, um, all very thoughtful and meticulous. Um, I felt like there was a lot of texture with this film. I felt like I could touch his coat, Mr. Fox's coat and his fur and the tree and everywhere they were living. I just felt it was, you know, despite it being so flattened almost in some scenes, like I think of that scene where Ash and the cousin are in the bunk bed or, and the one cousin is saying, um, you know, where do I sleep? And 
clearly that is a room with a lot of dimension. There's a bunk bed and there's another bed and then there's a bedroll and he's standing there. But the way that it's composed is almost like it's flat and there is no space between any of those. Um, yet, so with that flattening of every scene, there still is tons of texture with the individual elements. So that's one thing that stood out to me. I mean, you know, most films are kind of like, not saying they're a dime a dozen, they all have their unique thing. But with CGI, I mean, they more or less kind of look similar. Mm -hmm. But this just was so radically different than anything we had seen before. It was very refreshing. Yeah. Well, and I yeah. mentioned that it was, you know, that because they did that rudimentary, like, even then, you still got lost in this. I got lost in thinking that this was a real movie. Like, there was moments where I forgot that this was even animation at all. I was just so engrossed in the story. And that is the make of a true, great, finished product. I love it. Yeah, I was blown away by the level of detail on the environments. Like like Morgan said, I feel like I felt like I could touch everything and know exactly how it felt. And then um, you know, the color schemes just it's like his movies have a dominant color scheme for every every film. And um I I don't know. I, I really liked it. it. I also read something like uh, in almost every film, uh, Wes Anderson uses in the titles. He'll do the titles in a certain font, and it's always yellow. So stuff like that. And so I think what we're what we're gonna discuss more and more is how like the eccentricity of Wes Anderson makes this film um, really really unique. So let's actually let's start from. You know, the characters. What do you guys thought about... What did you think about, like, specific characters? Who was your favorite? What did you like? I, I, have, a, I have a favorite, but it's a really obscure character. Um, and I just want to say, like, about the cast, I felt like this was an amazing cast, and it had, it had a few celebrities in it, but it still didn't feel like a celebrity fest, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like they typecasted, like... Okay, what's a Wes Anderson film without Bill Murray, you know, as Bill Murray? And here we had Badger as Bill Murray, you know, as himself. But at the same time, I was like, you know, it works because he just works with the rest of the of the cast. I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know how to how to say it, but um, I feel like one of the greatest decisions with this cast was, like we discussed, having um, like going on location and and out, you know, in a place together to record lines. And I'm so glad that Wes Anderson kind of shook up that that animation industry formula of studio recording. And it, it brings so much life into the characters. Like, they're so real and believable. Like, I'm totally um, in tune with who these characters are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Despite it being, despite me knowing that's George Clooney just being George Clooney, basically. That's yeah. Bill Murray just being Bill Murray. And so it's this weird, like, dichotomy, but because it's a Wes Anderson film, like, it's it's okay to know that they're just the celebrities being themselves. So, I don't know. Again, it's just the magic of, of the director, I guess, but top-notch cast. You know what? I cannot think of anyone else who could pull off Mr. Fox the way George Clooney did. Am I right? I'll agree with that for sure. And you know what? Um, well, I, I guess I'll just start with Mr. Fox. I, I really like him. You know, who doesn't in this film? I wonder, I'd like to hear the perspective of someone who didn't like Mr. Fox. You know, because he is very, he's very self-confident. He's not exactly self-centered, but he's like a visionary, visionary, like creative type. You know, he's like an artist in his own right. Who's like, 
this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it because I know I'm awesome and I'm going <laughs> to prove to everyone that I'm awesome and in the end they're going to say that I'm awesome which is what I want. It's <laughs> <laughs> you know, crazy. There's, there's so much range in this film. Like there's the part where he's, you know, quiet, you know, explaining something and there's the parts where he's given a, an epic, you know, toast, a big speech to rally everyone. And then there's a the part where he's like, woohoo, yeah, that's awesome, you know? <laughs> uh, you cussing at me? You know, that whole little bad voice. And then every time... Hidden badger, anybody, yeah. Yeah, every time anybody ate, like any of the foxes ate in the whole thing, it was probably one of my favorite moments because it was like, oh, normal. Yeah, so I think, we, I feel, I'm going to make this a better day today. And then... Oh, let's eat my pancakes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, when they... Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. They're wild animals. This whole theme of, <laughs> why do you do this? Because I'm a wild animal. You know, why do we do this? Because we're wild animals. Mm-hmm. And yet they wear clothes. They're civilized. They have jobs. He works at a newspaper, you know. And then when they eat or they kill something or they get into a fight, they suddenly turn into, you know, ravenous animals like Watership Down, you're like, whoa, I didn't know they were capable of that. <laughs> and um, so what did y'all think about that? Was it, did it throw you off? Did it fit for you? I thought it added dimension. Yeah, it, it normally you would expect if they're a, you know, anthropomorphic animal that, that they're going to, they're wearing clothes and they're talking very, you know, sophisticatedly and they're going to likewise eat so. And they did not. And so it really turned everything for a loop because you realize, oh, they're animals. Oh, yeah, right. They're wild animals. And that's one of the themes where it's, he wants to go back to his wild animal self. Oh, yeah. Um, which is interesting to think, okay, well, here they're wild animals, yet they're, uh, you know, dressing in human clothes per se. And, and maybe, like, they're not conscious that they're wearing human clothes. Maybe that's just the world they live in. I don't know. But it, for the audience, it, it definitely made you think and realize what you were watching and pay attention. The first time it was a little jarring. You're like, oh, oh, okay, awesome. Um uh, Okay, and then it happens again, and you like it because you know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, it, if you compare it to other anthropomorphic clothes-wearing animals in animation, like Robin Hood, you know, or or something like Despero, it just doesn't compare. It's it's got this like quirky self-awareness that they are in the end wild animals. And then, as we'll talk about um, in the end, you know, the ending scene with the wolf, like there is this this yearning for, for Mr. Fox to be the wild animal, the ultimate wild animal. And then, um, let's see, Meryl Streep as Mrs. Fox. What did y'all think of her and her relationship with Mr. Fox? I thought it was good. I, I thought her her portrayal of Mrs. Fox was very, it was very good because you definitely saw that Mr. Fox wanted to go, like, um, do what Mrs. Fox wanted him to do because he's afraid to do anything else. <laughs> but yeah, for a she, while. Uh, huh? For a while, he wanted to do what she wanted. Right, for a yes. while. But then he was just like, oh, I can't even do it. Um, but you could just see, like, every time that she said something or whatever, it was like the the plasticized smile on his face comes up. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's like, we're having a baby. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those extreme close-ups. They're so awkward, you know, and silly, but but they're cute at the same time. Because mm-hmm. how how do you how do you pull off a close-up shot of something stop motion when they have so many muscles in their face that normally would be moving and twitching? You just don't. <laughs> you just keep yeah. them exactly still, and they say their line, and that's it. <laughs> 
And then yeah. every time, like the, the changing of the eyes, I really appreciated that. When he's like, I'm looking at you, and it doesn't seem like you're catching anything that I'm saying. Because it's oh like, my gosh, Kylie! <laughs> <laughs> go on the go on the Rotoscopers Facebook if you haven't seen my my take on on Kylie. I, I photoshopped myself with the crazy eyes. <laughs> um, okay, so I have a couple of really good quotes by Mr. Fox. I like when he says, uh, "Oh yeah, I, I think I have this thing where I have to make everyone think that I'm the greatest." <laughs> um, I can I can relate to that. And then <laughs> I love his confidence. He's like, in the end, I'm kind of glad the flood got us because I didn't like the toast I was giving. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you notice, his first toast is Mr. Badger is like, Badger is like, all right, unfortunately, it had to take like a disaster to get you all to come over to the, get you all to come over to the mine <laughs> that I've been inviting you. And he's like, who cares? What is he talking about? All right, everybody, listen to me. In some ways, Mr. Fox is kind of a punk, but it's like no one's allowed to not like him. Mm-hmm. A, B, a, because he's George Clooney. And um, and B, because he, he just exhibits this like self-confidence that you just buy into, which is, again, related to George Clooney. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so his character, like you were saying, he he's kind of a jerk, but he's kind of cool. And we, oh, he's and we a like cool him. jerk. He's a cool jerk. You know, so in the book, uh, the book really starts after the farmers are, you know, starting to attack, basically. They, they, he's raided the farmers, and now they're involved. Um, and so Wes Anderson, he wanted to add a, more of an, a beginning and an end to give the characters a little bit more depth and to also, you know, give some more uh, backstory, I guess. So, you know, I thought that was interesting what he did there, and it works because uh, you're just, you're thrown into a scene, but that scene didn't exist in the original book, um, but still it, it gives you context about the two characters you know they're they're dating or they're they're you know married yeah they're married they're going steady yeah and they're gonna have a baby and then things change and then they're purchasing the home and all these things and you start realizing that he doesn't like who he has become you know especially he always mentions um you know if anyone even reads my paper which they probably don't they probably don't read my my article, but, um, you know, he's, he's doing something to make the family happy, but not, it doesn't make him happy. And so I really enjoyed that they did that for his character, because I think if we would have just jumped into him being, you know, a crazy bandit, it, we wouldn't have appreciated how he got there as much. Mm-hmm. You know, so you were, you were, des- you were describing what was happening to Mr. Fox. And I was like, wow, she's describing the Incredibles. Yeah. This, this film is like the Incredibles plus an animated version of Ocean's Eleven almost. Yeah. <laughs> George Clooney and his thievery. You know, he's like, we're going to go steal paintings from the Nazis. We're going to go knock over three casinos. Three times. <laughs> true, true. We're going to go. <laughs> and Bill Murray's coming with me. <laughs> well, he wasn't in the Ocean series, but he was, in, um, he was in the movie where they stole paintings from the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> George Clooney is stealing. He's like Hollywood's kleptomaniac that everyone loves. <laughs> Okay, Ash and Christofferson. My oh, favorite. My favorite duo in this film where Ash and Christofferson. One, Ash is a close second for my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to him so much. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I had I had friends in school, but I I was I was different like Ash. You wore a cape. I did. <laughs> I actually tucked into your socks. Actually, if well, I always tuck my pa- my sleeping pants into my socks during the winter to keep my feet cold when I sleep. But 
if you ask my mom, she will always tell the story of when I would walk around as a as a um like a four or five year old with a bicycle helmet and a Batman cape um in the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, I was that kid. <laughs> but I just love how Ash is just like, I don't want to go to school today. <laughs> I don't feel like it. <laughs> Who does? Whoever does. He's like, you know what? I'm sensing a lot of attitude around here. So just hope I don't get one. But <laughs> when he's like yeah. when he's like, um he's like, you should probably put on your bandit cap. I don't have one. So I modified the sock, this tube sock. <laughs> so on. Great. Yeah, we do. And I love how in every shot he's just like glowering and just angry at everyone. <laughs> Yeah, his character is interesting because apparently, you know, it's fantastic Mr. Fox. His father is so amazing and so great. And you see that he is nothing like his father for the most part. I mean, he really doesn't even look like him. He has different coloring. He has kind of these black patches around his ears and eyes. Um, and that really comes to fruition when we he's at school. And, you know, I love the Owen Wilson sports coach. <laughs> black ball. <laughs> and um, that scene where they just describe how the rules are played and it's like it's a diagram of what's happening everyone's just like alright got it yeah and you know he you could tell he's like oh you could never be like your dad and they go to the statue and you you really start feeling for him in that moment because before you you're like who this is just an angsty teenager like boo get out of here annoying but then you see oh great you know he's trying to be like his dad and he's clearly cannot be like his dad uh, at this point in time. And yeah, uh, you start to feel for him, but then Christofferson comes. Okay, <laughs> did you like Christofferson? I didn't the first time I watched the movie. I felt, I, I totally, I was Team Ash. I, I'm always oh. Team Ash. I'm never Team Gary, but I was Team Ash, you know, for this film as well. Because I just thought Christofferson was, you know, Christofferson's like the kid who isn't trying to be cool, but everyone thinks that he's cool. Oh, see, I loved him. I he was. I loved him so liked, much better than the, Ash. I liked him the second time around. I, I like their their duo a little bit more. But I, I was like, oh, Christofferson, he's that guy, of course. <laughs> I, I feel for you, Ash. I really do. Well, the thing is, like Christofferson, he's they did a good job of making him not be that guy. Like, yes, to Ash, he is that guy, but to himself, he's just trying. He's to not trying. Thing. Yeah, yeah, he's not trying to upstage Ash and, you know, replace him. It's effortless how awesome he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so Ash, you know, he's always trying to dig about, you know, the double pneumonia for his dad and how he's never going to see his dad again, you know, and that's really this bitter <laughs> rivalry that starts right away. He realizes he's so much better than me. Maybe I can bring him down by letting him know about his dying dad. Like, the ooh. one thing that's wrong with him is the most cruel thing to point out. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Ash has so much wrong with him, <laughs> steals his lab partner. You know. Oh yeah. I love the line where he's like, "I'm here to rescue you." I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> and then he teaches him the karate, the karate move. You know. <laughs> it's so quirky, but you know they they end up liking each other in the end. I I think they make peace mm -hmm. with each other. So then we have the three farmers, which we we kind of mentioned, but Bogus, Bunce, and Bean. One short, one fat, one mean. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So uh, guess... they each have different, you know, wildlife that they, or, you know, crops that they grow. One's an apple cider, you know, 
producer, one chickens, and one, the other guy was a uh, geese. Geese, yes. So I got really happy when I heard Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's voice. Oh was, yeah. Made me really happy. Gammon. <laughs> You know, so I know, so in the book, these are definitely presented as really bad guys. Um, and they're just detestable in how mean and, and bad they are. But in this movie, I didn't really feel that, like, sometimes I was kind of siding with the farmers. It was like, well, yeah, you have this fox that's stealing your stuff. And so... Um, You're always going to side with the guy who's being stolen from. Yes, well, exactly. And that goes, there's this, you know, especially with the book, one of the, the main things is stealing. You know, the whole society was, especially after the tree gets, you know, demolished and excavated, basically. Then everyone has to go... on underground and live and they're starving and so they have to steal food to get to survive and then there's this this debate and this dilemma of is it okay if you're starving and to save people um or is it always is it always wrong to steal now don't worry about it it is always okay to steal from rich businessmen it's it's always okay no 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 a little animated income distribution but yeah (laughs) He's like a, he's like it, it brings up the whole Robin Hood thing, but it, I don't think it really brings up the morality of it. We're supposed to just by default root for Mr. Fox and Yeah, I, I feel I'm the movie did focus it. that I out. get it. I don't feel the movie focused on that as much as the book. Which is okay. There were different things to focus on. But the movie focused more on the fact that it was just a wild animal doing his wild animal thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you know, human being <laughs> very it's just the circle of life. Animals are going to yeah. steal and eat your crops, and you're going to try to get rid of the animals, and then they're going to either go away for a while and eventually come back, as he does a few years mm-hmm. later, uh, two years later, which is 12 fox years later. Ah, uh, yes, 12 fox <laughs> years later. <laughs> I love that. I love the titles. I love just the little uh-huh. captions that just described and helped put context very uh, <laughs> hilariously, I might put. He's like, honey, I'm seven, I'm seven non-fox years old, my father lived as my father died at seven and a half. You know, <laughs> I was like, "Honey, I don't want to live. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like we're poor anymore. We are poor, dear." <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I um, uh, Mr. Gammon. I, I know his last name is Gammon, but Dumbledore, who who's Mr. Michael Bean. Gammon. Yeah, Michael Gammon. <laughs> he just drawing from my Harry Potter experience. He is a much meaner he has a very mean voice when it has to be mm-hmm. and since there's the one fat one one short one fat one mean he is the mean one and he is the meanest of the group he's got this like this like Sean Connery pose with his old you know pistol you know and I I love the scene where where they got the best of him yet again and he just has a temper tantrum in the trailer <laughs> and make sure that he wrecks Everything. He even walks behind um, Bogus and Bunts and smashes and throws everything behind him. And then he goes outside and he and he breaks that, throws the bike. PT, that was awful, you know. He takes another stab at, at poor PD, who's like his secretary slash personal songwriter. I, I don't get what, <laughs> who PD was supposed to be, but I just, I just I love it. That that kind of um. That kind of like wrath reminds me of Robot Chicken so much, just mm-hmm. like that stop motion mayhem. And um, I love Mr. Bean for that. Just and I love how he's so in control of everything. He's like, uh, Patey, bring me, 
you know, oh yeah, if Aja is watching, here comes my crappy British accent. Apparently, he's like, uh, bring me, bring me five hundred rounds of ammunition, you know, and and this and this. Uh, uh, be here in about about fifteen minutes, shall we say? He's just so casual about knowing exactly what is needed, but it's like total overkill. Like five hundred rounds of ammunition, they need all these three giant bulldozers. <laughs> I don't know. I I I, th- I thought that was very very a very good nuanced character. Just how how uh, how sensible he was about these ridiculous schemes to get rid of the fox. <laughs> that was the like one of the biggest disses in the whole film was that's just bad songwriting. You wrote a bad song, Petey. <laughs> and he, he storms back out in the darkness. <laughs> he's like, oh, I, I don't know. It's just going going off as I go. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was wrong, Petey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. That was good. Here it is, rotoscopers and animation fans. My favorite character of the film was the rat. Who's the rat guy? He's like, oh, I'm always careful. You know? <laughs> it's always this. It's always this straight-on shot, like very unflattering shot of him. You know how they used to do um, Splinter in the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, where it's always this goofy-looking straight-on shot. Where he's like, <laughs> We have to fight the Foot Clan, you know. It's like back in her day, she was the town tart, you know. <laughs> and he has this like weird Cajun, like Creole thing to him. William Defoe, I think, is perfect for the creepy mouse. Um, <laughs> in in uh, Mrs. Fox's words, am I being flirted with by a psychotic rat? <laughs> oh my god, he's so nasty. <laughs> That little interaction between uh, Mr. Fox and uh, Kylie, when he was just like, she was the town tart? Really? He's like, yeah, like, yeah, we all lived our lives. It was a long time ago. Yeah, we kind of got Different standard then. <laughs> different standard then. He's like, whoa. <laughs> okay, I have a question. How did Kylie come to live with Mr. Fox? Like, why was he just always there throughout the rest of the was, film? He was a landlord. Oh, no, he's, he's, he's the landlord? Oh, the super... No, the superintendent, yeah. Oh, so that's he right. Kind he's of the had super. to be there to make sure okay, everything I get was it working now. and whatnot, but... I mean, there wasn't anything else around, so where does he actually live? It's interesting. I love that scene where he's, you know, shopping for houses, and it's it's so, you know, typical middle America, yeah. or, you know, just middle class where you're shopping for houses. Oh, you know, what about over there? Oh, you can't afford that. Okay, well, this is the best we can afford, honey. And um, it, it, again, goes with this anthropomorphized characters that they're foxes and they're shopping for homes. And But still, they're not houses. They're literal, literal things that they would actually live in, like trees and burrows and whatnot. But I just liked the way that they were able to present more modern things of society, I guess, with a real estate agent and the superintendent. And <laughs> so I thought that was a good part. And then, you know, okay. obviously contrast that with the more wild, ferocious elements like when they're eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of wild and ferocious, what did y'all think of the fight scene between Mr. Fox and the rat? Hey. I thought it was brilliantly produced, but at the same time, like, it, it's very kind of morbid you know, <laughs> at the end when he's get when he has a mortal wound and he's like, you know, he's your boy is is in this room on top of the thing. Would you have told me that if I hadn't killed you first? Never. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's yeah. trying to say he's trying to say something, Dad, and he's like, cider. <laughs> and he's like, here you go, have some cider, but it's like sewage, you know? Yeah, like a bit on the floor. I I, I heard a rumor that. 
in 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 earlier versions, he was supposed to be lying in a pool of his own blood, and I think I either he was supposed to force feed him the cider while he was bleeding and dying, or like feed him his own blood as the cider. That's just a rumor. I I, I think I remember reading that a long time ago. But still, like giving him the sewage sludge, me like there you go. And he's like. <laughs> Liquid melted gold. You know? <laughs> yep. He's like he, re- he redeemed himself. He went bananas. Yes, he did. <laughs> I love that little exchange where it's like he, he redeemed himself. You know, <laughs> no cheese. Oh man. All right. So you know, speaking of, uh, you know, you're saying that probably got cut out. This potential scene that you're talking about, you know, because maybe, you know, one thing is this: is this a kids' film or is it for adults? Uh, I was reading some interviews by Wes Anderson, and he said that he really didn't have an audience for it, although he wanted to make sure this was a film that kids could watch. Um, and so that's really where this whole thing about cuss came in. <laughs> that really is their cuss word of choice: is the word cuss. And I'll read you what he says. He says the cuss thing is as simple as it's. PG, and probably, I don't remember the exact time coming up with it, but I feel we were in Los Angeles. At the beginning of talking about writing this film, we were here and and, uh, came up with this sort of thing for some other line that we couldn't say. And so anyways, basically what it comes down to is they wanted to, they wanted to say certain cuss words, but they knew based on the rating they wanted, they wouldn't be able to say those things. And so they just said, well, why can't we just make this funny and say cuss? And it ended up sticking. Which is uh, when I when I was reading comments and when people we were gonna listen to interviews or not interviews some uh, voicemails later that's one thing that people mentioned about this film is the cuss aspect. Yeah. I loved it actually. I was like, I think this is gonna catch on. Yeah, no, it, was, it was cussing great. Like I don't I don't see what the cuss people why people would have a problem with the cussing cussing. You know. Yeah, I mean. You scared the cuss out of us, really. I actually went through and like and typed out some a whole bunch of the ones. So one of the ones is like, he's slightly younger, but he's a cuss of a lot bigger. Must be genetics. Um, where does the cuss of that kid get off? You cussing at me? Oh my cuss! Did you see what he saw? <laughs> Why the cuss? Didn't I listen to my lawyer? This is going to be a total cluster cuss for everybody. This is going to be a total cluster cuss for everybody. <laughs> that was my favorite. Yeah, that's, that's the, the most obvious one. one. <laughs> that's the ultimate one. Scared <laughs> the cuss out of us. I'm not going to eat mud. Cuss, yeah, you are. Oh, <laughs> and then Christofferson saves him. Is help on the way? I sure as cuss hope so. I shouldn't have cussed with my head, with their heads. Oh, I shouldn't have cussed with their heads. What the cuss is he burning? Um, get the cuss back here. A titanium card? How the cuss did you qualify for this? <laughs> See, that was another one of these, like, middle America sort of more modern aspects was this, like, platinum titanium card they just threw in. He was <laughs> using it to... <laughs> it was great. So, yeah. You know, so what do you think? Is this movie for kids or adults or both? I feel like a kid could watch it, but I really think unless you have studied... Unless you appreciate Wes Anderson and appreciate these like quirky, dare I say hipster kind of indie films um, and the medium of animation, I think it's going to, a lot of it's going to go over your head, you know, if you are of the uninitiated, you know, Mm -hmm. but we are initiated members of the League of Animation. I guess it's hit or miss. Uh, I think some kids would like this, and I think some kids, this would sort of be like a Watership Down thing, where it's one of those things that you grow up on and you love it. Well, maybe that's a bad example. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that definitely frightened and scarred some people, but you know those movies that are like way above you? Like There was this one weird movie, I don't even remember what it's called, uh, 
we used to watch it over and over again, and it clearly wasn't marketed for kids. There wasn't necessarily anything bad for it, but we just watched it and we loved it. And I feel like this could be one of those movies for kids. But then again, at the same time, I do think some children, uh, probably a little older, would enjoy this for what it is. Uh, I don't know. I would be really interested to take to get a child's take on this film. I, I believe that it'd probably be half and half or, or both. You mm-hmm. would get a whole range of the spectrum as from I hated that to I love that. Yeah. If you go on um if you go on imdb.com, you know, the and you go on the message boards, <laughs> you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Uh, um, if you go on the illustrious and prestigious IMDb message boards, um, there's always some some buzz going on about it. Um, I've heard, I saw a couple people discuss how they think that it's a little overrated, which I don't really believe. But I really haven't taught, seen discussion boards topics of people saying, "Yeah, oh, this film sucks," you know. Which you know happens on, on IMDb.com all the time. Also, a, little, a quick antidote. This is. Um, an excerpt from someone's topic on the imdb.com discussion boards. He says, you know what? I don't get why people have a problem with animals having American accents. Maybe all animals have American accents. Who are you to judge whether or not a fox has an English or an American accent? After all, you've never talked to one. I have. (laughs) They speak American English. This is what someone typed, not me. Oh, the world we live in. You know, I did read, you know, in those interviews that I was watching and reading, he mentioned that, you know, yes, this is a British book. Um, however, they are American. When they, He was one of the screenwriters, and they come from an American sensibility, and he just felt that he would he wanted to tell it from, you know, American perspective. And so they do. Um, I don't necessarily think that it, you know, tr- makes the movie better or worse. I think either would have been fine. But, you know, the fact that sometimes people have to be such purists on things, it's it's frustrating. It, it gives you no artistic liberty or license sometimes. And I, I appreciated that he said, you know, this is my telling of it, and I'm an American, and that's what I do best. So I'm going to tell it from an American perspective with, with more of American style of humor. Um which yeah, that's like we're, the whole all, point of where all the bad guys are British. Yes, yes, of course that. I mean, that's that we are the American. Way it should after be all. the way it should be. Just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I, I mean, the the film. You know, some people have criticized the film by saying that there's not much of a plot or a dynamic, engaging plot. I really don't think you should be watching Mr. Fox for the plot. I think. It, there's so much that it has to offer with the characters, the dialogue, the beautiful production design, and just mm-hmm. the overall quirkiness that it's okay if it doesn't have a, a compelling plot, you know? And in a lot of ways, it's kind of a fresh take because, uh, I mean, I don't really care or, or necessarily want it to have, you know, the typical Western three-act structure, you know? Um, you know, exposition, I want things to be this way. Oh, no, you can't because you'll always be this way. Oh, here's a conflict where I start doing what I want. Oh, and then it backfires. Low point. You lied to me? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got to bring it back because I'm a hero and the power of friendship and believing in yourself, you know? And then the world is different after that, you know? It's not necessarily like that. It's just just almost like a week in the life of a very sly fox, you know? (laughs) And that's okay. Um, I love the ending sequence. You know, the action, all all the bullets flying, and then Ash like gathers his courage. 
you know, um, I love how heroic he is. He's like, I am as light as a sparrow or something like that. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, like, dodges all the bullets, does it perfectly. Um, I don't know. Just overall, I just really enjoyed this film. And then we get the iconic wolf scene. Yes. Yeah, so the wolf Here's where we get philosophical. Oh, yes. This yeah, forget the is stealing bad. This is where it comes. And the wolf is mentioned quite a few times, and I started to pick on it, pick up on it probably like the first or second time. You know, the first time I was like, wow, they're just randomly calling out a wolf. I wonder if this will come again. And it did about two or three more times. And then the culmination, this scene. So discuss. All right. Well, let okay, first of all, let me ask you guys this question, then I'll answer it because I, I got it all written out. But I want to hear you guys. Um, what do you think, and I want to hear it on the chat too, you know, briefly so I can glance down at it. <laughs> um, what do you think the wolf scene means? Okay, so I think, like here we're talking about these anthropomorphized humans who are very modern in all that they do and the society that they have. And then you have this wolf who is not wearing clothes, who's not standing on, on two legs, but rather is four. And I think that just goes... I mean, I haven't really thought about it too much, but to represent like our our primordial state, so kind of this original wild animal, you know, and this acceptance of self. I think that the maybe the other characters in the film were overcompensating for things, you know, wearing clothes and and doing things that are somewhat outside of their nature, um, you know, because we do see them kind of revert back to these uh, more vicious or, or wild states of minds and, and behaviors. And I felt that the wolf was just hearkening back to that, you know, that original self, whatever that may be for you. And maybe that's what Mr. Fox feared. That's why he, or they were always sort of scared of the wolf because what it represents. But yeah, those are just some initial thoughts. Yeah. Chelsea? Yeah, I'll go with that. Definitely sounds good. <laughs> no. no say I mean, it. Every time every time they brought up the fox or I'm sorry, the wolf. I mean, I like the fact that he talked to him in French for whatever reason. Like I'm asking him if he have a long winter this summer or a long winter. I'm like, okay, why how do you know that it's gonna speak, speak French? I don't know. Um, it's Wes Anderson. Just, yeah, and then I like that the wolf happened to be in like an Arctic like on the other side of this imaginary whatever line that's there, it's now in an Arctic wolf. Um, so I think, I mean, does that have something to do with it? Like it's got to be in the in the in the treaches of what life is. Like the hardest conceivable and most depressing moment is for me is you know stuck in the cold. So that is definitely like he's out there and yet he's braving it and he's stands so majestically up there. I don't know. Um, I think, like you were saying, Morgan, it's just one of those, like, going back to that wild self. I just thought it was a cool thing also that just made you stop and think, why did that wolf come in there? Which, you know, I think was what Wes Anderson was looking for mostly. Yeah. Um, that was a really good point that you brought up, Chelsea, about it's like, it's, it's almost a different season where the wolf is standing when he's, like, perched mm -hmm. on that rock, you know? And it it really shows how how Mr. Fox and the wolf are, like, literally worlds apart. And so how do you interpret it that? So at first, 
I um at first I interpreted it as like Mr. F- like Mr. Fox is finally finding acceptance and approval by the wolf who he says he's afraid of but I th- I really think he just has this intense respect and longing to be like them that it, that it scares him his inner self right because he's he's scared of it secretly maybe because it goes against everything that's expected of him mhm Throughout this whole film, there's this conflict between wild animal Mr. Fox um, and, uh, you know, domesticated Mr. Fox, you know, mm-hmm. who lives who lives in his hole. You know, there's a reason why foxes live in holes, you know, who who does his job, you know, and, and keeps the family safe, you know. And yet, here's this wolf who represents something that maybe he'll never become, and he finally gets... The approval, you know, he reaches out for that approval, for that that kinship with that wolf, and the wolf is like, <laughs> it's so cute at the end. I, I, I that's like a po- popular like GIF where like, you know, him going like that and the wolf going like that, and then it looping over and over. <laughs> and then so that for me, it's like his, the one moment where maybe maybe he'll never get to be that wolf, but for a second there, they were they were brothers. You know, they understood each other. And um, I think that's kind of... It, it's weird because it also represents a, a decision that has to be made. Like, I've I've read other reviews and um, other reviewers have thought of this moment as, like, Mr. Fox realizing uh, because the wolf doesn't understand him, uh, you know, English, Latin, or French, <laughs> um, <laughs> that he'll... that they are eternally separated, that he'll never become the wolf. So it's him realizing that he has to be domesticated. He has to be the good fox that stays safe and keeps his family safe and doesn't take any risk, doesn't lose any more appendages than he already has. And because you notice he never gets his tail back, you know, that's something yeah. that never is redeemed. And so he, he has to live with that, his recklessness. It back, but it doesn't grow back. Oh, right. He, he doesn't get his like bushy, bushy <laughs> tail back. It's like hanging off there. So some of the in the comments, uh, Frank Foster says, "I look at it look at it as Mr. Fox coming to terms with who he is, the wild side and nature." AJ says, "I feel like that's Mr. Fox's big struggle through the movie between what he feels like he should be and his natural instincts." So definitely that's right in the same vein, you know. And you mentioned the which I. I noticed at the time, but I didn't consciously think about when I was just, when we were, until we were just talking about it, was the difference in seasons. And I, to me, this whole film feels very fall. Oh, yeah. You know, with the fall colors and the oranges and the yellows, and then you go to this winter. Um, and they're very, you know, stark and different in in the way that they're portrayed and just the colors. And, and Mason said, yeah, they're worlds apart, but at the same time, fall and winter are so close. You know, fall leads, fall leads into winter, and, you know, that could be a, a whole other meaning and, and layer as, you know, this could be accepting himself falling into that next natural stage of life. A new, a new season. Yeah. Well, and also after when she says, I'm pregnant again, and he's like, oh, we're both glowing. Like... I don't know. Is that something to be like? Now he's he's found his self, and it can the story continues. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of this circle thing. So now, <clears throat> now he for real has to be serious and and be you know the good domesticated fox you know who who stays out of trouble. 
this might be a clue to unlocking the wolf scene, but it's a quote from Wes Anderson himself. He says, you know, there were some people who didn't like the wolf scene, uh, in particular one very important person, and he said, I don't understand what the scene is doing in the movie. And I'd always say, say to him, I'm not cutting it. That scene is why I'm making the movie. Drop the mic. That's true. I mean, I really felt that the movie was great, but adding that scene, I I loved that scene, and it really added a lot more depth to you know to just the whole culmination and his story and his growth and where he had come, and it just all represented very simply, um, but at the same time very ambiguously, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, which yeah. makes it so great. What makes this movie great for me are three main components. All right, the characters they seem real, mm-hmm. which is so refreshing in in animation. And there was a lot of attention giving given like a lot of love and care in making compelling environments, like environments that just drew you in. I could I could almost like kind of like uh, over the garden wall. Uh, I could feel the the autumn breeze, you know, in some parts. And then um, finally. Wes Anderson's vision for this film um, just made it truly unique, and I wish that more people had watched this. I wish I, I wish that it had been more successful in the box office, because I want more iconic directors uh, like Anderson to take on the medium of animation. Animation is about storytelling. It's not it's not a genre. It's not specific to a certain director. Um, people can do it, and just watching you know someone who normally makes these very creative, you know, very stylized uh, live-action films, to watch them interpret the medium of animation according to what, you know, to their, you know, mastery of cinema um, was such a... It was, it, was, it was like a revelation. It was, it was like eye-opening. And um, I, I wish that other, you know... Uh, distinguished and uh, what do you call them? Unique directors, you know, mm-hmm. would take on animation and and make animated films. Yeah, who, because who else would be a good director? He had such a distinct, you know, his 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 own personal storytelling style, and you know, cinematography, and you know, very clear in live action, but then able to translate that, uh, you know, a like story to animation, and it was such a breath of fresh air. It was so yeah. different. It was so unique. And he just explored things in a different way than we weren't used to. And I think that's what's so nice about, you know, these newcomers coming in. Yes, we do, you know, of course we want people who've grown up in the industry and they started, you know, you know, in the in the mail room and worked their way up from, you know, in-betweener to animator to art director to director. You know, of course we want that. But at the same time, look how amazing it is when you bring a total fresh perspective, someone new, someone who's great at just the basic elements of story and filmmaking and let them have a shot at uh, animation. I mean, he chose, he very specifically chose stop motion. You know, he could have done whatever he wanted. That's right. I'm sure he, he could have found a, you know, a studio, a CGI studio to do it or, or whatnot. But then he's picked a very specific, you know, you know, subset of animation, stop motion, and then within stop mo- motion, sort of this retro, you know, vintage stop motion, and and then layer all of that, the story and the characters and the music, and it's just, like, we didn't, we haven't gotten anything like this in a while. It's just so fresh. 
Yeah, um, looking at the chat down here, um, uh, a couple of people mentioned, hey, Quentin Tarantino should do an animated film. Mm-hmm. And then um, mm-hmm. Mark Brown uh, brought up that Zack Schneider, you know, he's known for uh, 300, um, The Spirit, he Watchmen, he's doing um, Man of Steel, now he's doing Superman uh, versus Batman. Um, he did uh, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. If you remember that joke, it's like the animated film with the most syllables in his name. <laughs> Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. Twelve syllables, folks. Yes. The joke is that it has so many syllables, not that the movie is a joke. Let me just yeah. Before right. the hate mail starts coming in. <laughs> I don't know if it was episode two or three when we made the joke that there's got to be a correlation between how many syllables are in the title of your animated film and how and how uh, successful it is. Yeah. <laughs> Although I home, one, one syllable, I don't know. I it did it was... quite well, actually. It did yeah. quite well. Minions. Frozen. Frozen. Tangled. Yeah, and then Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ah, that's over five syllables, guys. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> that's an right. instant you will not make over $100 million in the box office. <laughs> Too yeah. many syllables, you're out. But uh, I, they mentioned Legend, uh, Owls of Gahul, and I, I, I gosh, please, patrons, uh, ask for that film sometime because I really, really love it because it's literally Zack Schneider making an animated film. Like, it's got his, all of his calling cards are all over that film, you know? Owls are fighting and then, you know, extreme slow motion bullet time fighting with owls. It's so cheesy, but it's great. Um, but anyway, I wish that more, um, you know, more unique directors would take on animation. As an official, this is an official Rotoscopers invitation, you know. <laughs> Except, we you know, George Lucas tried it with... Uh, with <laughs> Strange magic, but he Strange wasn't necessarily magic. the director. Yeah, he wasn't, like, piecing together everything and in control of everything, but <laughs> still had his name attached to it. So did the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> which I like. Anyways, okay, going back, what makes the film so great? Mason talked about his reason, and I think I kind of covered it as well. I think it's just a, a new take. It's a fresh perspective, um, to quote Anton Eagle, Ego. And it just, it was a interesting story with interesting characters told in a very unique way that made you think and appreciate what you were watching instead of just kind of accepting what you were watching and liking it in the end. All right, I like the fact that the humor was smart. They had the good jokes that were placed in the right spots um, where, you know, where it needed to be, but also it took its time with what it needed to. So you had a good balance of am I watching or am I laughing and then I'm involved and then I forget that this is actually a movie and then awesome music choices get come in. I mean, come on now, you guys. We did not even talk about the soundtrack. Davy yeah. Crockett. Davy Crockett, just throw that out. You. And you also have um, Love, it the seems house. like almost yesterday. Oh, yeah, the song from Robin Hood. Robin Hood. I love that. I just the, just the song choices were so quirky. You go from... Uh, you know, these children's songs, which is the Davy Crockett and then, you know, Disney, and then there's some rock in there, and then you have Andre, uh, Alexander Splas, his score. Uh, it was very quirky, but it worked. Yeah, it just worked. works. I don't, know how, do- I don't know how he does it. It just worked. <laughs> also, I love how Mr. Fox has a little Walkman, you know, <laughs> Walkman. turns it off. <laughs> Yeah. It was just full of personality, and that was what I loved. It, you really got the personality of the whole 
film of every character. They pulled everything together. I knew who these characters were. It was just great. Um, I think that those are the reasons why I liked it. All right. Um, listener Twitter question for tonight. Uh, we asked our uh, Twitter peeps, <laughs> which character in Fantastic Mr. Fox is your favorite? So we, we only got a few. But a very important few. Very important few. Okay. First one, Frank Foster. Got to go with Mr. Fox. I like George Clooney, and he's great in the role, full of charisma and wit. A fun character to watch. Charisma is what I was looking for, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like plus 50 charisma. Um, let's see. Sm- small dear friend. Um, his, Just roll with his it. Twitter, his Twitter, I'm, I'm going. His Twitter handle is social media deer as in deer with antlers. He says, I like Mr. Fox's persona of charisma and cleverness. I like Christopherson's sweetness, and I like Mrs. Fox's landscapes. Is, <laughs> is Christopherson sweet, though? I think he's just as awkward as the rest of the characters. He's not assuming. He's not mean like Ash. He's not, yeah, he's so, not I malicious like I mean, if you're like contrasting Ash. those, he's very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, um... Uh, Chris uh, Cookson says, "Got to go with Kylie Sven Opossum." Oh man, I was gonna ask if, if um, I was gonna ask everyone to write down uh, the first person to write down the full name of Kylie was gonna get bonus points, but Chris Cookson read my mind apparently and, and wrote his full name. So, got to go with Kylie Sven Opossum, a neurotic, honest, well-meaning friend with a very low attention span. <laughs> Fox likes him anyway. <laughs> and then. Um, Oh, he goes on to say, also, Christopherson is such a great guy. He's smart, meditating, pacifist. It, he's so perfect, it, it makes Ash's je- bitter jealousy even funnier. So. <laughs> True. Yeah, it, it does make it funnier because Christopherson is, like, perfectly perfect in every way. All right, so let's round it off with our ratings. What would no, you no, rate this film? No rat fans in the Twitter, in the Twitter <laughs> oh, people. So I'm going to rate this four and a half stars. All right. I... I yeah, I thought I was just so blown away with how unique and fresh it was. New perspective, interesting story, interesting characters. I feel like I'm a broken record here. Uh, four and a half. <clears throat> I'm going right. to give it a solid four stars. Um, it was just, there was so many good things about this movie. And if, you're, if you've never watched this movie and you're thinking, I, maybe I should check it out, you totally should. And, I mean, like I was saying before, the the replay value, it's there. And if somebody, even now, having seen it twice, if somebody was like, hey, I want to watch that, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no, it, it's not going to really get old. It's not really, it's just one of those that yeah, you can pop in and keep going and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, four and a half stars for me. I, I feel really positively about this film. But... As everybody knows, I do. It, 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 five stars is perfect. It, it's Lion King perfect, and um, and so it, it didn't quite reach perfection, but it was darn near perfection. There's no shame in getting four and a half stars on the Animation Addicts podcast. It's like a, a big deal, you know. Two and a half. What got? I always ask this, but what was the lowest we've ever rated something on this show? Wasn't it the Lord of the Rings? Lord the of the back, Rings. Bakshi Lord of the Rings. Yeah. There's a completely different side of the spectrum of animation. <laughs> and a fresh take on medium. <laughs> yeah. It's, we've, got, we've, we've reviewed really good um, films recently. So yeah. 
patrons, give us some poor ones. Give us some bad ones. No, don't. We uh, like watching good movies. <laughs> all right. Oh, um, someone just uh, drew a reference, a reference between this and Rango. So I, I think that's. Mm. Oh, we need to go back to Rango. We need to have like a Rango post post mortem or a Rango revisited episode. Anyway. All right. So next, we are going to go into our voicemail section. So let's tee them up. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's Melissa, and I am so excited that you guys are reviewing Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love this movie. I think it's clever. I love the look of it, the the way they get the fur. It just looks like very felt, um, like little felt animals, and they look so cozy. Like, I want to own one of these little guys. Again, I just love the humor in this movie. It's so quirky. I guess that would be the best word to describe it. One of my favorite quotes is, you wrote a bad song, Petey. <laughs> which uh, Bean says to his assistant. And I love Christofferson. I think he's my favorite character. He's just like that classic kid that gets on your nerves because he's good at everything he does. Um, I love the game Whack Bat, and I like the letters out of magazines, little meme in there, and the band of hats, you know, with the sock. <laughs> um, I also was wondering, what's the deal with cuss? It seems... Like, that's their version of a bleep. Like, they just put the word cuss in for wherever they would use an actual cuss word. Again, only from the mind of Wes Anderson. Anyway, I really do love this movie. And, yeah, that's my voicemail. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is MJ Edwards here. I'm so excited and happy that you're doing Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love Roald Dahl. I love Wes Anderson. I love stop motion. So I think this is just a perfect amazing movie and i love how it's got this sort of warm orangey brown color because they didn't put any greens or blues into it and i also find it interesting whether it's actually supposed to be for children or for adults but it, i think it always depends on the child because i heard someone complain that their child really didn't like it where i took a little girl to the cinema to see it and she absolutely loved it so Depends on the kid. <laughs> but my favourite part has to be, because I have to mention this, is the whack bat game and how they describe the game like, quite fast and then they play it and you have no idea what's going on or how to play it, but it just makes me laugh every time. Love this movie. See you guys. Hey, Rotoscopers. How the cuss you doing? Ryan here with my review for The Fantastic Mr. Fox, one of my favorite films of all time, not just animated. I'm right up there with, you know, Casablanca and Citizen Kane. I have placed a movie with a very mischievous fox. And you know what? This movie really has to do with Wes Anderson's vision. I mean, the production team and Wes put in so much time to design and build every part of this world, which is really given this tactile quality, I think, is wholly unique to stop motion, My, which is my favorite genre, actually, at this point. I also hold the opinion that uh, stop, the stop motion, you know, DVD, Blu-ray extras are the most captivating to watch. You know, seeing everything being created and, and being planned out is, is wonderful to watch. All that being said, this is a Wes Anderson film, which, you know, you can tell immediately. And that is the biggest limiting factor his constant symmetry and, you know, uh, surreal humor isn't for everyone. 
but uh you know because it is for me uh i will give it uh you know a million out of five stars which uh quick word about the voice cast you know george clooney and meryl streep come on is there any other way to find out your voice is not cool than by comparing them to these two? He It was also cool to hear or see or hear uh, Wes Anderson's returning cast of friends. And, you know, if you dug this movie, check out the rest of his films. And uh, yeah, if you're of age, because some of those kind of bad for kids. And that's all I got to say. Take care. Hello, Road to Scopers. Um, it's me, Sarian, obviously. And um, I'm here to leave a voicemail for episode number 103, right? Yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I need to rewatch that. Maybe I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember at least enjoying it. But leave a short voicemail. And Mason, I was kidding about the Mason shaming, mostly. We can just consider um, reviewing the question of Girls Your Punishment because you have did the commentary for that. Bye, guys. All right, so for show notes for this episode, if you want to give us out your review of Fantastic Mr. Fox and let us know your thoughts, what are your theories about the wolf? What does it mean? Go to rotoscopers.com slash 103. And that's where you can go and join the discussion and give us your reviews. Please go and check it out because we love going in there after the episode releases um, on the audio version and having this discussion. And of course, you can follow us on all social media. We are at Rotoscopers. And we love to interact with you and follow you there. Every social media that we use, we try to do something a little different with that. So, you know, it's not like we just auto post our Instagram to our Facebook and our Twitter. Twitter. We try to keep them separate, so you have an incentive to follow us on all those fun things. Um, if you would like to leave a voicemail for our next episode, we are reviewing. It's a patron choice, and we, the patron, has chosen Lilo and Stitch, which is actually multiple patrons have selected that one. That good one choice, is guys. good choice. Yeah, good old Chris Sanders, and <laughs> I'm really excited. He, uh, this is again another. Uh, it's a Disney film, but Chris Sanders, Sanders' take on you know animated characters and women and the way that his style is, I love. And it's it's definitely different from what we had seen. In, so we will talk about that. But leave us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or give us a call at 406-646-6575. Um, of course, you can always support the show by shopping on Amazon using our Amazon affiliate links rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. And actually, if you are in Canada, we would love, or if you could use our Amazon CA link, so rotoscopers.com slash Amazon CA. No one has used that yet, and if we don't have uh, any uh, users in Canada use that link within the next like month or so, they're going to shut it down and we have to reapply. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's just too messy. So even if you're just going to buy something for 10 cents, uh, definitely use the link, and it helps support us. And of course, we do have links for a lot of countries. If you go to rotoscopers.com slash support, that's where we have a link for Great Britain, for India, for Italy, Spain, France, um, all those countries. So if you do your Amazon shopping in those countries, um, save that link to your toolbar 
and just click it whenever you're going to Amazon because I know I have you know a link saved onto my browser and I just click it and there you go off to the races so thank you so much for supporting the show that way um, if you would like to listen to this audiobook um, it would definitely be worth your time so you can compare it to the film or maybe watch this listen to it before the film rotoscopers.com slash audible and of course we've mentioned it quite a bit but rotoscopers.com slash patreon that's another way that you can support the show and we've talked enough about it so I'm not gonna you know talk your ear off about it way that you can support the show whether it's just going to the um, going to iTunes and leaving us a review or just going on the website and making a comment and having a discussion or any of these other ways to support it we appreciate it and we love it so much and thank you guys I love the rotoscopers community and just what this has grown to be this community of animation fans who have a love for the medium and just Aww. want to explore the different stories and characters and avenues that it is able to explore and so thank you guys you guys all make it possible for this to continue so oh absolutely yeah without our without our patrons you wouldn't be able to see my pretty face live on the video feed you know and we are all, all we would all be worse off for it you know the funny thing is we just barely got on Google Hangouts, which Google Hangouts is not a new thing. Like, it's years old. People have been doing Google Hangout live streams forever. Now the new thing is blab.im. And all the podcasters are, are podcasting their show on blab. Um, but, you know, blab, blab, whatever. Blab. We're always late to the game. And you can't record blabs. And you can't, you know, make it available. So uh, I'm, we're going to stick with the Google Hangout for now. Maybe we'll look into blab later. But... Anyways, you can follow us all on our respective social media. I'm at Morgan Stradling. Chelsea's at Chelsea Robson. And she does have a new website now. If you go to ChelseaRobson.com, she has updated it. She made some I, awesome changes. It exists now. So. <laughs> it exists. It's not just routing to her Facebook page. And then at uh, Mason is at Mason, S-M-T-X. So. complicated as always yes always the complicated one of the budge so again our next episode is going to be Lilo and Stitch um, you can go to the bottom of rotoscopers.com to see our upcoming schedule um, we will be renovating the website in probably the next month or so it's really close to being finished but that is one thing that I definitely wanted to keep in the new design is the schedule where you can go and see what upcoming films we're going to be doing like we said Lilo and Stitch is next episode we're recording that on September 21st which is a Monday, unless some things change, we'll let you know. That's where you can go to double check. And then after that, Hotel Transylvania 2. I am so excited. That comes out on the 25th. So oh, it's, um, it's going to be really good. I really wish we could have um, reviewed the first one um, mm -hmm. before, but maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll do a special bonus free fun podcast just because and, and release it just because we want to. I don't know. No promises, but get ready for both of those because those are coming in the near future. Yay! Alright. So, oh, I'm sad that we have to wind this down. I know. It's been so Can fun. there not be a roto after party after every episode? Yeah, it's in the chat room. We'll have a roto after party. <laughs> I, I guess I'll, st I'll, I'll stay out until... Uh, yeah, I'll stay on the chat for just a little bit, but... Actually, after this, um, Shanna wanted to re to watch the rest of it. I, I had to watch some of Fantastic Mr. Fox yesterday, and then we're going to watch... I watched the rest of it today to prep for the episode, but she didn't get to, and she wants to see the rest of it, so we're going to go <laughs> watch Ooh. the rest of it in a second, so... <laughs> nice. Well, 
I'll let we'll let you go watch a show. But until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. Nice. Will we ever get that? It totally worked. It totally worked. I don't know. It worked for me. <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs>